Welcome to the Jesse Garcia Show, your half-hour home for politics, culture, and art, where we bring you a new story about your world in every episode. On today's show, we have Eduardo Garcia from the Latino Community Fund. He is the policy director of a California organization that is building political power among the state's largest demographic, Latino citizens. We'll talk about the 2024 election and issues that matter to Latinos. Thank you for following the Jesse Garcia Show, now on Threads, Facebook, and Instagram. For more information about the podcast, visit jessegarciashow.com. Imagine being able to harness the power of an emerging giant. While some U.S. states have sizable Latino populations, none are more prominent or arguably more powerful than California Latinos. If California was its own nation, it would have the fifth largest economy in the world. And the largest racial ethnic group fueling that juggernaut are Latinos. More than 15 million Latinos, around 40% of California, help make up the most populous state in the nation with the highest gross domestic product in America. What's another amazing statistic? Latinos now make up 32% of the California state legislature with 11 out of 40 state senators and 24 out of eight state assembly representatives. They are within striking distance of equal representation. Helping build that power is the Latino Community Fund, a statewide foundation that solely focuses on investing in Latino youth and families. LCF has the largest network of Latino philanthropists in the country and has invested $25 million to build Latino civic and political power and leadership in the state. Joining us today is Policy Director Eduardo Garcia, who works to advance solutions that will improve the lives of California's Latino community. We'll talk about how the state is preparing for the upcoming election and how his organization works with the queer community to ensure civil rights are secured by all. I want to welcome to the show Eduardo Garcia from the Latino Community Fund, who is busy right now organizing in the Golden State some of the most politically active Latinos in the land. Welcome, Eduardo. Thank you, Jesse, for the invitation. Yes, let us know. Before we start, what made you get into politics? Well, um, you know, I'm from Orange County, uh, from Southern California. And uh, uh, there's a community of nonprofit organizations that I grew up volunteering for that inspired me to engage on issues that are important to my community. Uh, my family uh, is from, uh, my family also inspired me. You know, they're from Mexico. They arrived to the United States in the 80s and sort of seeing their, you know, their the examples that they set for myself and for my siblings really inspired me to, you know, figure out ways to get involved in the community to make the community better and more responsive to, to their needs. And so via nonprofit organizations in my community, I started to organize and to get involved. And that's how I learned about what public policy was and the fact that people, when they unite and make their voices heard in local government can actually make a difference on various issues um, you know, I grew up in Anaheim and uh, like many cities across the country uh, is struggling to keep housing affordable, right? To long yes. communities yes. have historically shaped 
places like Anaheim, Los Angeles, Washington, D.C. Um, and so uh, I, that's how I started getting involved, just through working on local issues. And um, I, I see myself more as a policy person rather than politics. Um, but yeah. I understand that those things are related and I can appreciate the sort of the intersections. But um, that's what inspired me to, to get engaged in, in politics, but mostly in policy. California uh, drives the nation as the largest economic engine among states. Do Latinos in California have adequate representation? Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting question. Um, and I think it's important to set some context. Um, yeah. 8.5 million Latinos will be eligible, eligible to vote this year in the elections that will take place. Uh, and that's very exciting, right? Because it represents an enormous opportunity to shape um, local politics, national politics, right? Um, especially if you consider some congressional districts where they're, you know, they're, they're swing regions, really. And, there was a lot, you know, very, there was a lot of, because we were watching the House go back and forth in the past elections, and there were so many California districts that we had to wait for like three, four days, because those margins were very narrow between the candidates. And then now you that you have this whole new system with the top two, um, it might be a Democrat versus Democrat, you know? It's just, it's interesting politics coming out of California, but the margins in these swing districts are so narrow. So yeah. tell us about that. Yeah, and, and you know, to the, point, to the point that you're making, you know, I think a lot of people at the national level sometimes think California, you know, everyone votes the same way, everyone thinks the same way. And to your point, there's a lot of parts of California where, um, you know, they're considered swing districts, right? There's not a, a stronghold, you know, in places like Orange County, where I'm from. Uh, that has gone back and forth over the last, you know, several election cycles. I'm thinking about parts of the Inland Empire, parts of the Central Valley, where you see a lot of um, diversity in, in political opinions, right? Um, so to, to get back to your question, I think, you know, 8.5 million Latinos will be eligible to vote. Um, a lot of them are young people, right? And so this is an opportunity to engage new generations of voters that have strong opinions about some of the biggest issues affecting the state, including housing, homelessness, uh, inflation, and, and the impact that it's had on the price of everyday goods. We conducted a poll actually just a couple months ago about the issues that Latinos care about the most. And you know, those were the three issues that came to the surface as being priority issues, homelessness, housing, lack of affordability due to inflation. Um, and so when you ask about whether there's sufficient or uh, proportional political representation, I think that there's still a need for the issues that we prioritize to be taken seriously by our elected officials at all levels of government. Uh, so that's what I would leave you with. So the stakes could not be higher for this upcoming election, especially for queer Latinos, those who are undocumented and those who are women, who identify as women, and the fact that so many LGBTQ rights are on the line. And there's so many state legislatures out there who are working to just really uh, attack our mar marginalized community. You know, we, we don't make up the numbers. We're, not, we're never going to be those numbers that are going to be able to overturn, you know, 
these dra dra draconian laws against LGBTQ um, folks. We have we need progressive allies to join us in the fight. So, what is um, your foundation doing to ensure that Latino turnout is at record numbers in twenty twenty four? Because we're gonna Latino tends tends to lean progressive in certain issues, and we're gonna need that Latino vote to help us with women's issues, with immigration issues, with LGBTQ issues. What are we, how are you ensuring turnout? So one of the big issues that I think affects so many Latino-led nonprofit organizations that conduct voter outreach work is often lack of resources. You know, so something that I always point out in in, in uh, interviews is that only one percent of all philanthropic dollars in this country go to Latino-led, Latino-serving nonprofit organizations. Right? Only one percent. Only one percent. One percent of all philanthropic dollars. Even and though we make twenty percent of the population of the United States, you, only you beat me to it. I was going to say that exact <laughs> point. Right? Oh There's God. a huge gap in funding when it comes to. Latino-led, Latino-serving nonprofit organizations that often are responsible for conducting outreach to voters, right? Knocking on doors, passing out flyers. These organizations are severely underfunded. And so one of the things that we do as a foundation is try to fund early, right? Making sure that nonprofit organizations have the resources that they need to conduct this outreach early and not wait until weeks before the election, because we all know exactly. that that's not enough time for organizations to do the work that they need to do to build uh, civic power, right? But also challenging the broader philanthropic sector to invest in frontline community organizations that are obviously lacking in resources to conduct this work. And so that's really, really important um, that the broader sector falls uh, uh, out of this uh, practice of funding later in the year, and obviously not funding to the levels that they should be funding. These organizations are experts in their communities and they have the trust of communities. I don't think it's a secret that the many Latino communities have lost trust in government over the last several years, right? Between the egregious attacks by the Trump administration against immigrants, against women, against LGBTQ people, uh, the lack of leadership that we saw during um, the early phases of the pandemic, right? Um, there's so much mistrust that has been generated. And so it's imperative that we then fund Latino leaders that have the trust of the community so that our communities feel inspired to vote. Um, and so that's one big factor that we always consider in, in the work that we do around elections is making sure that we're funding organizations early, that we're challenging the broader philanthropic sector to make more investments in Latino-led nonprofit organizations, but also mm -hmm. engaging on the issues, engaging people on the issues that they care about. Um, in California, uh, this year, uh, marriage equality is actually going to appear on the ballot. And so, um, as you might remember from 2008, California state constitution enshrined that marriage uh, was only legitimate if it was if it happened between a man and a woman, right? 
that language is still in the state constitution, right? Regardless of what happened at the federal level, that, that language is still in the, in the state constitution. And so the, there's a freedom to, uh, to marry amendment that will appear on the ballot in November um, that will permanently eliminate that language. And that's important, um, especially because so much has changed since 2008, right? The Supreme Court um, has changed. <laughs> exactly. This, that's exactly what I was getting at. You know, we, we have seen attacks by the Supreme Court to uh, efforts to try to eradicate basic civil rights that we take for granted now. And a lot of the, the onus and falling on the states to defend those rights. And so it's important that we have a state constitution that reflects our values and that reflects um, the fact that we are a state that values uh, people of all sexual orientations getting married, right? And so that's something that that we think is gonna be a big impetus for people to wanna to come out to vote. In addition to all of the other issues that we know that Latino voters care about. I wanna applaud your community foundation because y'all played a role in ensuring that California achieved its highest Latino voter registration date in history. 73%, that is unheard of. Um, what preca precautions are you taking to ensure that the Latino vote is fairly counted and that voters will not be mistreated when they go to the polls? Do you all have any type of programs or do you try to arm these voters with information <clears throat> where they can call like a hotline? Yeah, so we partner with organizations like NALEO, right? The National Association of um, Latino Elected Officials uh, to ensure that voters have information about what phone number they can contact to report harassment or intimidation at the voter polls, because we recognize that that's a problem. That could be a problem depending on the community in which you live. Um, and so that's a big sort of effort that we conduct during the voting period, right? But, you know, to the point that you were making earlier too, you referenced misinformation. And so I always think it's important for us to share that, um, you know, there's enough data to suggest that Latinos and especially Spanish speaking Latinos are more likely to be exposed to misinformation and unverified information online more than any other group. And so this is very concerning to democracy, right? To, to basic democracy, because if you have an electorate that is a significant part of the electorate, 8.5 million in California, that is accessing unverified false information about candidates, about issues, that's bad for democracy. We need voters to have accurate, reliable information about the issues they care about, about the candidates that are running for office. And so it's very important for us to, you know, we have engaged in a lot of advocacy at the state level to ensure that um, legislators are being responsive to uh, the needs of the community and accessing reliable and verified information. You know, the growth of all of these technologies, I'm thinking about AI, right? AI is a big topic exactly. of conversation right now. Uh, the state of California is currently developing an artificial intelligence safety uh, framework to basically provide guardrails, right? For how these technologies are developed and to be aware of some of the uh, limitations that AI has and some of the uh, you know, potential challenges that might come as a result of AI, which includes 
misinformation and unverified information. And so we've been very vocal in the with state legislators that are responsible for leading this effort to ensure that there are policies in place to prevent the mass spread of misinformation using technology like artificial intelligence, for example. So that's something that we've been very vocal on over the last. Uh, Thank you for that. It's yeah, so really fascinating. It's fascinating and scary at the same time about <laughs> how democracy can just be uh, affected by just all this AI information that's been that could uh, sway an election just by disinformation, bad information getting out and into the wrong hands. Um, that's why I think that the, the, this concept of, you know, not I don't want to end on a, on a negative point there because I think that it's why we fund Latino-led nonprofit organizations and why we're so passionate about closing the gap in the dollars, the philanthropic dollars that these organizations receive because these community leaders have the trust right, of local community-based organizations, uh, local communities, I mean. And so it's important for us to fund them because they can spread accurate information that goes against exactly. the misinformation that people might otherwise be accessing on WhatsApp or, you know, Instagram or TikTok or whatever platform, Facebook, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you do a lot of work in the Latino community. What stuff have you done in queer spaces to bridge that gap between, you know, Latino and LGBT community and those people that occupy both both yeah, communities. Absolutely. How do you motivate queer Latinos to come out and vote? How do we motivate queer Latinos to come out and vote? Well, you know, we recognize that, you know, uh, as I mentioned earlier, that ballot proposition that's going to appear uh, related to marriage equality in the state constitution is gonna be very important, you know, for us to, mobilize LGBTQ uh, Latino voters. Um, but that engagement rests on the civic engagement that we've con that we've conducted as a foundation over the last several years. We have a LGBTQ giving circle uh, that convenes and they come together and give back to nonprofit organizations that serve LGBTQ Latinos in different parts of California. And that is a, you know, a giving circle that is very active and that has, you know, done a lot of work over the last several years to increase civic participation among um, Latinos uh, in the LGBTQ community. A couple years ago, you know, we also mobilized that group to uh, engage with the census, right, and making sure yes. that Latinos are being counted. And um, we actually did some advocacy with the census director to ensure that there is an LGBTQ question on the next census. I know it's early, it seems early to, to do that yeah. now, <laughs> but they're formulating the questionnaire now. And so we did advocacy to ensure that, or you know, to help ensure, we'll see what the final results will be, that there's a question about uh, LGBTQ identity on the next census so that in the future, we have that data to then address the needs, the health needs, the economic needs, the housing needs of the LGBTQ community uh, and ensure that there's federal resources going to those initiatives, right? Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of activities that we've conducted around um, engaging LGBTQ Latinos and the upcoming election is gonna be just another one of those opportunities to make sure that our communities are being heard 
and that we're not being scapegoated as being you know anti lgbtq you know in 2008 i think there was a lot of um blaming of certain communities i was i had that pushback i was an activist organizer in dallas texas and the the day after president barack obama got elected all the left-wing gay rights activists were blaming Latinos for Prop 8 passing. They're like, they showed up for Obama, but they didn't show up for us. Why are Latinos turning their back on us? And I had all this hate directed to me because I was a very visible Latino in, in, in my Dallas space that I where I was an activist. And it really hurt me because... If they only knew that that money that was being pumped in for that campaign came from the Mormon church and the Roman Catholic church. They were the ones that were messing with people's, you know, just putting, confusing them with the ballot um, language on how to vote and putting fears into their heads. I mean, there was a, an effort by some Latinos to get the vote out, you know, and the progressive vote out. But it was overwhelmed by the churches. And I remember getting that pushback. And it hurt because I was being protested. Not the Roman Catholic Church. I was being protested. And then when they went to go protest at the Roman Catholic churches, they were protesting where the Latinos went. Not where the rich white people like, gave money to those campaigns in the north side of Dallas where all the rich people that live and they attend their Roman Catholic churches segregated from the poor Latino ones downtown. It was such such a heartache to see people after that election just come at us really bad. So hats off for hats off for you to try to get ahead of the game and trying to keep keep these two marginalized groups of the Latino community and the queer community working together for a better progressive future. And Jesse, and to remind people of the point that you just made about why the Yes on Eight campaign won, right? They won because they outreached and they invested in certain organizations to conduct outreach. I would say, if I'm not mistaken, there, there could have been much better outreach within the Latino community to uh, educate people about this issue, right? And, and that, that outreach was well, not... There was no money not being funded. They were not engaging people. And and then they, you know, they told us a different story later. Uh, I think now it's important to remind people that in general, there has been a sea change in attitudes about things like marriage equality within the Latino community. Right. And it's important to remind people that without investing in Latino leaders and community based organizations, uh, it's going to be hard to pass anything uh, related to this uh, proposition. They need Latino voters to be engaged on this issue if it's going to pass by with high margins, right? That's and that's I think the story that we want to be able to tell, not just for California but for the rest of the country. You guys have done amazing work in California. Are there any plans to take this on the road, make it like a national organization? You just got a brand new CEO, um, Julian Castro, well-known individual, former uh, head of HUD, I believe, and of course, presidential candidate, very popular in Texas. Do you all have any plans of taking this national? 
So the intention is to deepen the work that we're conducting in California, right? Especially to regions of the state that have historically been overlooked by philanthropy. And that includes parts of the Central Valley, right? Where many farm worker communities live, indigenous communities live, um, but also to the Inland Empire, right? And going south to border communities that again are, you know, historically have just been overlooked by traditional philanthropic institutions, uh, but that are at the front lines of the climate crisis, uh, for example. Um, so I think that's that's one part of the strategy in, in the short term, but then also to your point, um, I think there's an interest definitely in ensuring that other communities in different parts of the country have, you know, uh, investment, right, by big philanthropy to ensure that there are more Latinos voting, engaging in civic processes, and making their voices heard on the issues that they care about. So yes, I think it's a dual strategy of deepening our work in California, in places that are historically overlooked by philanthropy, but also thinking about where are there opportunities to grow and to um, unleash the civic power and economic power of uh, of Latinos in different parts of the country. Well, that's great to hear, Eduardo. Can't wait to see what becomes of LS uh, Latino Community Fund in the in the coming years. If listeners want to know more about your organization, where can they find you online? Yeah, so I encourage folks to follow us on. Uh, well, first of all, our website latinocf.org. That is a you know a, a place where you can find all the information about our programs and about um, the different organizations that we support. We actually have a power map on the website. Uh, so you can actually see a visual map of all of the different organizations that we fund across the state. Um, we're also, uh, that's also where you'll find all of our information for social media, um, our uh, Instagram, our Twitter account, or X, I should say. Um, so that's, and our YouTube account. So that's where you can find all of the information, latinocf.org. Well, thank you so much, Eduardo. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to visit us on the podcast here and sharing what you're doing in California. We don't get to get that many chances to speak to our California Latinos. So I'm so happy that you stepped up to the plate and joined us um, this afternoon. I wish you the best of luck with this um, upcoming um, election year. And I hope to see some progressive wins. Thank you so much, Jesse. Have a good one.